This is Chris Gansky. Chris has been on uh, two times before, and uh, it's especially time-sensitive that we get him on now because uh, Chris has a really cool opportunity to give a lecture at uh, TED's at uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School down in Deerfield uh, next week, Thursday, January 26th. So um, I, I hope to be there, Chris, but um, open invitation to anyone who's listening. You want to give a little primer about what you're, what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah, it's good to be on again. Um, have an opportunity to talk about this event. Yeah, so uh, this is part of the Henry Center, which is um, uh, a kind of a endowed center that is housed at Trinity. And uh, they they um, are really, you know, trying to just increase theological reflection for the sake of the church. And this series, they do a lot of different things that under that. Um, but this series in particular is part of what they've called a lectureship series um, on scripture and ministry. So they've had a couple people come in already that are professors and they have one mother actually um, I'm blanking on his name, but he's done at covenant. Um, but uh, so I'm like the only pastor they have coming in uh, to do this. Uh, but, but yeah, so I'm giving a lecture uh, next Thursday at, I think it's 11 o'clock. Is when it starts. Yeah, yeah. Um, at Ted's and uh, my theme, and so the theme that they gave us was discipleship, um, which is pretty broad. And so I'm going to be talking about my title is the Ascension of Christ and the Renewal of Christian Mission. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the guys in the Henry Center, uh, I know some of those guys, and um, and they specifically asked me to come and talk about the Ascension. And so, uh, so yeah, so. I've been working, you know, <laughs> you've heard me before. If you uh, know me, probably heard me talk about the Ascension in different contexts, some some folks. Um, and it, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's a really important doctrine for the church. Yeah. Um, especially as it relates to our understanding of church and mission. And so my, you know, my, one of the things I'm, big, big themes is that, you know, I'm, I'm looking I'm going to try to set forth the doctrine of ascension as it relates to mission, but the renewal of Christian mission really depends on the renewal of the church. And so right thinking about mission involves right thinking about church. And so I think that's one of the things that ascension does for us. It helps us understand how mission and church kind of fit together. Hmm. How, how, how so, how are you making that connection? Maybe I'm, I'm the only one missing it. But... <laughs> Probably not. If, um, well, uh, let me just start with where, you know, I'll, I'll be a little more autobiographical. I don't want to give away all the goods here. Um, you can yeah, stream fair. lecture online and it will be streamable later on. So you can you can get the specifics and yeah. I'd be happy to send that. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get all that links in the description. And the next time a newsletter comes around, I'll, I'll try to get yeah. that so people can see it. But. So I, I actually want to just say, so when I started, um, so I finished my PhD at Marquette in systematic theology and... Um, and the doctrine of ascension was kind of coming more and more into focus for me when I was writing my dissertation on Calvin and the Lord's Supper. And we can come back to that later. Yeah, I've got but some thoughts. Yeah, but but when I when we started church planning, right? So I'm in like full mission mode. So I'm going from you know PhD writing <laughs> writing the dissertation mode to church planning mode. And I you know I started to immerse myself a lot in in the literature and missional church and and just missiology in general. And so one of the things, I, I mean, I just, there's a lot of really good stuff in there, right? So I don't want to be uh, 
you know, really just too dismissive. But but it, there is a, a kind of an alarming tendency within a lot of uh, missional church literature, mission missiology in the United States to pit church as institute over against mission. And I, I think this is part of the, the general evangelical tendency, which has a low view of the church, which is to say that, you know, a lot of times we see as church being the church and being in mission is somehow like in, in yeah, tension yeah, opposition, yeah. right? Like if you're going to be, I, I mean, I just can't remember how many times I heard this. Like, are we a church, you know, for, for, for the, the saved or for the lost? Are we going to disciple the, the, the sheep or reach the lost? Right. And as if you have to choose what kind of church you want to be, like you can be a church that disciples people and teaches in the Bible and helps them grow in their faith. Or you can be a church that is really effective in reaching the lost. And, and I just, and, 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 you know, it kind of gets to an extreme too, to where, you know, church is like church is mission or church is movement. Right. And so like, you're always changing the church, thinking of new ways of doing church. Like we talk about doing church. And I I found this to be very problematic and actually, um, you know, to, to not just the church, but mission. Hmm. So, um, as I was sort of reading a lot of this literature, I'm seeing that one of the big problems in the missional church literature, um, and it goes all the way to the top in terms of like those who I, I would say are like the most sophisticated from a theological perspective, their professors or things like that, is is an in a, like an a struggle to know how to f- understand how ecclesiology and missiology fit together. Right. How does church and mission fit? How are they together? Right. Um, And so as I was, you know, you know, so that's the context out of which I'm, you know, I'm planning a church. Right. I'm thinking about what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to grow a church? Uh, What does it mean to be in mission? Um, But then so as I'm, you know, as a trained in systematic theology and steeped in the Reformed tradition, I'm like, okay, more and more seeing that, you know, the doctrine of essential is really essential here for understanding how mission and the church come about, right? You know, and the and the main argument that I'm making next week in this lecture, and that's really kind of the thing I hammer on a lot when I talk about mission, is that mission, the the framework for mission, the backdrop of backdrop of mission, is the exaltation of Jesus. It is mm. his ascension into heaven. Yeah. Okay. Um, his resurrection and his ascension, and that. So when you think about like the Great Commission stories. They're all combined with his ascension into heaven, right? They're all come about between the resurrection and the ascension, right? And so what I do in this lecture is I kind of give you more of the exegetical depth on that and what what that means and why that matters. But here's the thing that's really important, right? As it relates to the question you asked about integration of mission and church, because what you have at the ascension is both the birth of Christian mission, but also the birth of the church. Because if you think about it, you know, in Acts, the disciples are like, Acts 1, they're like, Lord, when are you going to bring the kingdom to Israel? When are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They are not thinking in terms of church. They're thinking in terms of Israel, mm. right? And so what is Jesus' response? Well, it's not for you to know the times and place, but you will be my witnesses and I will give you, you know, I will send the spirit upon you and you'll be empowered to be my witnesses. And what Jesus does is he reframes their understanding, right? They're not expecting him. Nobody's expecting Jesus to ascend into heaven. They're expecting him to ascend to the throne yeah. in Jerusalem, yeah. right? Yeah. 
to, to restore Israel and that they will have positions as rulers and governors and different capacity, right? And so then Jesus comes along and says, no, it's not that. He is going to be enthroned, but it's not going to be in Jerusalem. It's going to be in heaven, hmm. right? And what you're going to, and I will send my spirit upon you from heaven and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, hmm. right? Yeah. So, so what you have there is both, you know, and, and that's where you, you see the shift in, in the New Testament. So what, like when you look at the word ecclesia, church, it, it doesn't show up in John or Mark. It shows up three times in, in, in the gospel of, of Matthew, but you, you know, and, but when you, when you go to Acts, you've got over 20 references to ecclesia. When you go to the letters of Paul, you have 67 references. You have 19 references in the book of Revelation, not to mention all the other epistles. Because church, again, is not like it hasn't come into focus yet. Hmm. Only when Jesus leaves, right? When Jesus becomes invisible, the church then be, has to become visible. Hmm. Right? It becomes that reality that's like, here's the place where Jesus is like present in the world and embodied. And so there, so, so what you have in Acts, as you see, is, and, and you see it at the end of the Gospels, the other Gospels as well, is like you have the coming about of church and mission together, yeah. right? I can say a lot more about that integration, but. Yeah, save some of it, of course. But, and, and this is always dangerous to be so reductive, but would I be right in, in saying ascension inaugurates both church and mission? Yeah, um, I think that's right. Um, that that without the ascension, neither really come about. Right now, obviously, Jesus is preparing his disciples for the church. Right? Mm -hmm. Jesus talks to Peter about, you know, I'm going to make you the rock. You know, in my church, I'll build. You know, but but the real, but again, it's like so many things the disciples do not get. Sure. about what Jesus is teaching them until he ascends and then sends the spirit. Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, another direction to go with this and I don't know if it's it's going to come up next week, but but the only reason I I know about this lecture is cuz I reached out to you. Uh, I'm taking some classes at TEDS conveniently and uh we're talking about um uh the Lord's Supper and, and some different traditions and and we had been studying the, the Reformation and, and talking about Zwingli and, and, and Luther. And Zwingli and Luther have this debate about uh, the Lord's Supper. And uh, Luther's, it, it's, it's, it's not, I, and I, I, I'm so sorry to my, our Lutheran friends who are going to probably not like this, but, but it's, it's certainly not Catholic, but it's, 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 it's close, okay? Uh, Jesus is, is present with the sacrament. Um, he isn't the sacrament, but he's present. And Zwingli says he can't be present because of the ascension. Uh, and so I had reached out to you and said, I, I need some help knowing uh, what I believe. And I remember, you know, you've got this, this kind of book in the works, and we had talked about this once before. So help, help people like me uh, understand the role, the role that ascension plays uh, at the table. Yeah. Yeah, so this, you know, I'll try to not get too deep into the weeds sure, here, yeah. but, but let me just say, so the, so the, so the Lutheran position um, is that Jesus is present in, with, and under the elements. The big distinction between the reformed and the Lutheran position has to do, and really the reformed and 
say, the Roman Catholic, Lutheran, and Orthodox position, is whether there's a physical, real presence in the elements themselves. Yeah, right. Right? So, um, Luther does not like the language of terms transubstantiation because he thinks it's philosophical and it's too dependent on on philosophy and, and all that. And um, but he, in he essence, does not like Aquinas, so uh, anything from Aquinas is going to be a problem. Well, he just doesn't like that. He actually does do more with Aquinas, but in fair, but yeah, you're right. He does not like he doesn't like the the scholastic. I mean. Again, like the reformers are wanting to stay as close to the biblical language sure. as possible. Sure. And 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 so like the idea that you have to like enter all this complex scholastic philosophical things to explain what's going on is is for them a non-starter. But Luther really wants to, I think, maintain a, a real presence in the supper. Um and, and and so he he kind of he kind of stumbles upon this in with and under. And you know, again, I don't want to I, <laughs> I don't want to give you the whole history of Eucharistic debates, um, but 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 it's unfortunate. Let me just say that Zwingli was the first person that uh, of the of the Swiss Reformation that Luther met rather than Calvin, mm. because Zwingli he does appeal to the Ascension, but Zwingli is a uh, very uh, Platonic, um, and by that I mean that he has a, he's very influenced by Erasmus. And he has a kind of, I would characterize it as almost a dualistic, um, almost like a, an opposition between spirit and matter. And so Zwingli is, you know, in his own way, influenced by this very kind of Erasmian uh, uh, opposition that's very platonic of spirit and matter, that they cannot kind of come together. Now, he, he appeals to the ascension but but really Calvin is the one. So when Calvin, as a second generation reformer, begins to debate with the Lutherans, and he's Luther's dead at this point. Um, and the Lutherans, especially the Ganesia Lutherans, they just go like hardcore and they kind of develop Luther's doctrine. But Calvin comes back again and again to the ascension. And part of the Lutheran argument for the real presence as it develops is to say that um Christ physical body because of the incarnation, um, take on attributes of omnipresence, mm. right? That's, 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 that's like, I mean, Luther kind of goes there a little bit, but really um, some of the later scholastic Lutheran theologians really go hog wild with this. Now, Calvin's response is like, okay, well, if a human body becomes omnipresent, then like, what does it mean to, what is a human body, right? Right, like this is this is not a body that anybody recognizes, right? And one of the things that Calvin keeps coming back to again and again is like he's ascended in heaven, right? And and so we're, we're now where Calvin, and this is where I think it's really important um, to understand is that in appealing to the ascension, Calvin is not supporting as as Zwingli did in a kind of ham-fisted way, a memorialist view. Calvin will say to his Lutheran detractors again and again. We feast just as sumptuously as you on the body and blood of Christ, mm. but just not by means of like the physical substance. But for Calvin, he I think he really was a good reader of the biblical witness and that he saw that there was like the ascended Christ in his distinct humanity was in heaven, but he sends his spirit. And so when he sends his spirit upon us, there is a way in which the spirit makes us to participate in the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Right. So, so he, the spirit in a sense lifts us up into heaven and makes us participate. And so 
Now, Calvin will, you know, again, the Reformed tradition does not affirm a physical presence in the elements, but he would, he'll say that there's a real presence. Yeah. But it's through the spirit because the spirit is the agent that bridges the things separated by space. So, Chris, uh, in, in the CRC liturgy at the table, that one of the four things that we're considering when we work through the form is that yep. we are we are spiritually fed by the bread and the cup. Would would that yep. be a distinction that Calvin made separate from Zwingli? Yeah. So for Zwingli, again, Reform Eucharistic theology gets kind of complicated, yeah, and our yeah. confessions, our confessions, uh. Our confessions are not, um, I would say, completely unified. There's another, and I, I think that just means that there is space, and there. I don't think there's space. And if you're a reformed, if you're really confessionally reformed, like the three forms, I don't think you can be a memorialist. Mm. But there's a distinction that that some scholars will make that I think is true between um, a kind of a parallelism they call and this kind of real presence view, mm. and I think. I won't cash that out here because, again, <laughs> these things get – they're very technical. But but I think Calvin represents the highest version of, like, presence. And so for Calvin, he'll just – and I think the key is this. And this does lead back to some of the ascension stuff. See, when Calvin talks about the spirit, and I think this is utterly biblical, we should not be like Zwingli and oppose matter and spirit. Mm. It's the spirit is poured out on all flesh. Like when we talk about the spirit so many times in the life of the church, we're, we're, we're like saying it's spiritual. In other words, what we mean is that it's not bodily yeah. or it's not physical. But if you look at Jesus's own relationship with the spirit, it is always bodily, yeah. right? My, my, Conceived favorite, in my favorite one to use, and I use it today at, at uh, CWC, uh, Romans 12, uh, offer your bodies as living sacrifices for it is your spiritual act of worship. So there's right. just this, they're, they're together. They're, they have to be intertwined. So, so when you hear, when Calvin talks about spiritual presence, we shouldn't necessarily hear like, oh, there's nothing bodily going on here. Right now he, he is not affirming um, a physical presence in the supper because again, and this is the temptation of high, high church Lutherans and Roman Catholics. It's to like worship the sacrament, right? If Jesus is present, why wouldn't you fall down and worship it? Mm. Right. Mm. And so, so Calvin wants to say, well, no, I mean, the sacraments are always pointing right beyond themselves. They communicate real grace. And so in that sense, you, you, you can't neglect them and you can't, um, you, you know, you have to come with, with the right sort of posture of faith, but, but, but they really communicate something. It's not just a subjective thing, which was largely what it was for Zwingli. Um, and so, again, the Ascension, you know, the reason I really stumbled upon Ascension was when I was doing a lot of the work for my dissertation on Calvin and the Supper and the Spirit. I mean, I'm just seeing this theme of Ascension coming up again and again and again. But but, and if, if, I know we probably should probably wrap up here. But if there's one thing, and I'm not going to talk about this next week, but I think it's really important. It might come up in question and answers. But so there is a trend or a way of sometimes thinking is like, oh, Christ is ascended into heaven, right? So we've got this cosmic universal Christ. Um, and I think when you really pay attention to the scriptural witness to the ascension, what you realize is that Jesus of Nazareth, 
the Palestinian Jew has gone into heaven. And as the Heidelberg Catechism says, he holds our humanity there for us, like as a down payment. Mm. Like, so who goes into heaven? So when Jesus goes into heaven, it's not like he sheds his humanity. Mm. Not at all. Right. He doesn't go back to being the sort of universal you know, pre-existent son that's present throughout. No, he is he's the first Jesus one of, the dead. of Nazareth. Yeah. Yes, he's the first one. And so Christian witness is always to that particular humanity. It's never without it. And mm. and and so like ascension actually, you know, we often think, oh, the biggest problem that people have with Jesus is, oh, well, the idea that he's God. Well, that's that's crazy. Actually, I would argue the hardest, biggest thing people have with his Jesus is his humanity, right? He's so particular, right? Like it's his humanity that offends us. Like when he goes back to Nazareth and they're like, wait, we know this guy, you know, didn't, yeah, aren't his brothers, son. you know, yeah. right? He's the carpenter's son. And they, and it says they took offense at him. Yeah. And I think it is the, the, the real scandal of the gospel is the particularity of Jesus's humanity, mm. which is ascended into heaven. And mission always is witness to that humanity, Whoa. not to a universal cosmic Christ that you can fill with whatever you want, sure. right? Which often ends up being the trend of a lot of missional theology today, which is to say that, you know, Christ is everywhere. He's bubbling up, right? And, or the spirit, you know, we're partnering with what the spirit is doing. You're like, well, you know, the spirit always points to Jesus Christ in his particular humanity. Uh, Chris, I'm I'm excited for Thursday. Uh, two questions. Uh, one, any softball questions you'd like me to line up for next week Thursday that you can. <laughs> and then the, the uh, my, <laughs> my more serious other question is: How can we be praying for your city reform church? Well, you know, this is a project I've been working on for almost ten years. Um. I had an opportunity for a sabbatical about three years ago, a little more than three years ago, in which I actually wrote about half half of a book. Um, I feel compelled to, you know, to write a book on this, and because it's it's generally not something I've never seen a book on ascension and mission, and um, and so yeah, I, I mean, it's hard. You know, I'm a full time pastor, and I my top priority is just caring for my congregation and not to be um, but, you know, I, I feel like this is an important contribution to conversations and missiology. So, you know, as the Lord and, you know, this invitation I saw as a good opportunity to try to spur me on um, to write. Um, but, yeah, I think um, I so, you know, that the Lord would help me figure out how to write if, if it's what he desires and make that clear. But also, I mean, my goal and this is what I you know, this is the goal you know, while we're talking and. It's like at the end of the day, what I care most about is not me writing a book. What I care about is the renewal of mission and the renewal of the church. And so, I mean, in particular, I would just say, like, let's keep praying for the renewal of the church, the renewal of this Christian Reformed Church, the renewal of the church at large. And how does the Lord, what does the Lord have for each of us and as as helping to lead for that renewal? Yeah. So. Well, thanks, Chris. I'm looking forward to Thursday. Yeah. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate it.